Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Daniel chapter number 9, if you'll stand for the reading of the word. Uh, Verse 24, we've been on these last four verses last week, this week, and I see one more week on these four verses, and then we're going to move on. We're just going to move on. And so uh, we're going to just be just probably one more week on these. But Daniel chapter number 9, verse number 24, the Bible says, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks the street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times and after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. The people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And the end thereof shall be with a flood. And to the end of the war, desolations are determined. Verse 27, and he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abomination, she shall make it desolate even until the 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 consummation and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate four verses Bible says all scripture is given for either reproof rebuke long suffering doctrine so we take in all of this and as a matter of fact it kind of set me a little off yesterday Uh, my wife is preparing for her one of her annual yard sales and uh, I was carrying a lot of stuff that we have collected that we're going to sell back and forth and my neighbor uh, hollered at me and said, Paul, Paul. And I, I came out of the garage and said, yeah. I said, have you heard about this RFID chip? Because here lately they have did a thing on it about America in the next 10 years. I said, yeah. I said, man, isn't that the mark of the beast? Isn't that what that is? And so I was able to talk for a while about I said, well, we're doing a series right now on the book of Daniel. I'm going to be doing one on the book of Revelation. He said, when you do Revelation, I'm going to come. He said, I'm going to be there. And I said, well, Daniel's just kind of the, the Old Testament book of Revelation. And they had made a plea that they'd be here tonight, although they're not. But still yet, uh, they're interested uh, in just because we talked a little bit about the confirming the covenant out there in the yard and all kinds of different things. So uh, if you remember a few weeks ago, I said, what's the proper response to prophecy? Tell somebody else about it. Tell somebody else about it. And it was just bizarre. But I didn't start the conversation. Somebody else did. Uh, but this is the days that we are living in. Let's ask God to touch our hearts and minds afresh right now. Father, I come to you right now, Lord. I need you, Jesus. Open up our minds and our understanding, God. We know your word is able to help us. It's able to direct us. God, give us direction, Lord Jesus, here this evening. I pray, oh, Lord, today, God, help us, Lord, to uh, glean from your word and let it, God, set us a, a perspective about where we are, Lord Jesus, as individuals and as a nation in the scheme, Lord Jesus, of life. In Jesus' name that I pray. And everybody say amen. Amen. You may be seated. As a matter of fact, he said, he said, I know I don't come to church all the time. He says, but I do read my Bible every day. And so... Uh, 
That's something within itself right there. Uh, last week we started talking about these four, these four, and this is kind of a little outline here for us tonight, very generic, very general, but that's kind of going to be the tops of the trees that we're going to hit uh, here this evening. But uh, we started talking about last week these 70 weeks uh, that are spoken of in Scripture and learned how uh, the word weeks actually in the Hebrew means sevens, so 77s. Uh, which if you take 70 and multiply it times 7, that's 490, and come to determine that those were in fact 490 years, all right? And last week we spoke of in verse number 24, those six things uh, that are going to be determined upon, remember, uh, Daniel's people and Daniel's city, which would mean uh, the Jews and Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem. Six things that's going to be determined upon them in that time frame, uh, before there's going to be this, this completion or the end or the finality of all things. Verse number 25, though, namely this evening, if we can take just that first phrase there, and you almost take this phrase by phrase, but that first phrase there, uh, he, Gabriel is speaking to Daniel and says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem. Just that, that phrase right there, from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem. Because that phrase right there is a, a, a key for the origin or the start, the commencement, all the other or all the other synonyms I think of, is for the beginning of this 490-year period. You'll be able to mark its origin, its beginning, because there will be from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem. Now, when we look in the Old Testament, if you'll remember, we talked about a man by the name of Cyrus, Cyrus the Great, all right? We talked about how Isaiah the prophet prophesied about this man Cyrus even before he was ever born. About 150 years or so before Cyrus was ever born, Isaiah prophesied of him how he was going to come uh, overtake uh, a city and that ultimately Jeremiah even said in his writings prophesying that Cyrus would give a decree to uh, the Jews for them to return back home uh, from captivity and rebuild, uh, rebuild uh, whenever they went back home. Well, with that being said, there are about four possibilities for this, and I'm going to, uh, if this thing will work with me, and uh, you'll have to just bear with me a little bit. I'm still trying to get the hang uh, of this little thing here, so I might not really know what I'm doing up here. I tried to play with it a little bit today, but I did do some premeditated drawing uh, today. Um, however, the, the, the time frame of this whole origin of 70 weeks starts with the restore and build Jerusalem. And it's important to know it's to restore and build Jerusalem and not necessarily the temple uh, is the verbiage in the scripture. Well, with that being said, there's about four possibilities. Uh, Cyrus made a decree. Uh, King Darius made a decree. Uh, a king by the name of Artaxerxes made a decree. And another decree was made by him as well. But it's important, again, to denote it's to restore and build Jerusalem, the city. That's the decree. From the going forth of that decree or that commandment, that starts this timeline of events. So if we look at these four, Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes in, in two of them, if you will, turn to Ezra chapter number 1. And again, I know the inconvenience of not, boom, there it is. Uh, but you have your Bibles. And if you don't know where Ezra is, if you do have a Bible, usually in its index in the very front, the, the books of the Bible in alphabetical order, it'll give you a page number where uh, your, the, 
where Ezra is found at exactly in your Bible. But in Ezra chapter number 1, verses 1 through 3, this is the commandment, or if you will, the decree of Cyrus that was foretold by Jeremiah. And the Bible says in Ezra 1 and verse 1, Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. So there it is, referring back to Jeremiah already said this would happen, that it might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he hath charged me, now this is important, he hath charged me to build him a house, a house, what he's speaking of, build God a house, talking about a church, a synagogue, a temple, to build God a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Verse three, who is there among you, among you of all his people? His God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem. So let him return back to Jerusalem, which is in, Judah, in, in Judah and build, again, the phrase is important, build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is the God which is in Jerusalem. So if we're considering the point of origin to be the commandment of Cyrus or the decree of Cyrus, we see right here that what Cyrus decrees is for the people to return and to build the house of God, to build the temple. It was not specifically for the city of Jerusalem, as Daniel points out in the scripture that will set this timeline in order, he's talking about building the house of God. And so with that in mind, the decree of Cyrus cannot be the start of this timeline because he's talking about building the house of God. Daniel says it'll be from the going forth to build, rebuild Jerusalem. All right? So then we consider Darius. Darius made a decree in Ezra, so you don't have to go very far over if you're already in Ezra 1. Just go a few chapters over or to Ezra chapter number 6 and verses 1 through 12, and I'm not reading all those. But if you read Ezra chapter 6, verses 1 through 12, what Darius basically does is reaffirm the decree that Cyrus had given. As a matter of fact, he reads in verses 1 through 12, the decree that Cyrus has given. And when you read through there, all of those verses again pertain to the temple only. Rebuilding, restoring the temple. So with that in mind, what we're looking at is a decree for Jerusalem, the city. Not necessarily the temple. And so Darius is just reaffirming everything Cyrus has already said. And it all concerns the temple. So the decree of, of Darius can't start this timeline events. It doesn't mark up to the restoration and the rebuilding of Jerusalem. Then we go to Artaxerxes, King Artaxerxes, in Ezra chapter number 7, just one chapter over. If We'll start with verse number 11. The Bible says, Now this is the copy of the letter that the king Artaxerxes gave unto Ezra the priest, the scribe, even a scribe of the words of the commandments of the Lord and of his statutes to Israel. Artaxerxes, king of kings, and to Ezra the priest, a scribe of the law of the God of heaven. Perfect peace at such a time. He says, I make a decree that all they of the people of Israel and of his priests and Levites in my realm, which are minded of their own free will to go up to Jerusalem, go with thee. So Artaxerxes' decree here is that if you're a Jew, if you're one of the people of the Lord, then you can go back home. You can go back home. It's not about uh, restoring and rebuilding the city. It's not even about restoring and rebuilding the temple. 
He's just telling the people, hey, guys, you can go back to Jerusalem. So that's his decree. So Artaxerxes is in this. He's not starting the timeline for us. It's the, the, Daniel says it's from the going forth to restore and build Jerusalem, the city. So with that in mind, though, we go to Nehemiah chapter number 2. Nehemiah chapter number 2. Artaxerxes is involved again. But Nehemiah 2, and I'm going to read a few verses. i got a lot of scripture tonight. Uh, verses 1 through 6. The Bible says, And it came to pass in the month of, we'll call it like the car, Nisan. <laughs> Amen. In the 20th year of Artaxerxes the king, that wine was set before him, and I took up the wine and gave it to the king. This is Nehemiah saying this. Now I had not been before time sat in his presence. Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then I was very sore afraid. And said unto the king, pay attention to this verse, Let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad when the city, Nehemiah is making reference to the city, he's making reference to Jerusalem, when the city, the place of my father's sepulchres, lieth waste, and the gates thereof consumed with fire. So this thing is in rubble. And, and something you've got to think about very quickly, Zerubbabel has already went back, Ezra has already went back to the city of Jerusalem, and Nehemiah will be the third to go back. And so see, nothing's been done with the city per se up to this point in time because Nehemiah's still talking, it's in ruins. It's dilapidated, it's all destroyed. And then the king said in verse number four, then the king said unto me, for what dost thou make request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said unto the king, he said, if it please the king, he's making a request, and if thy servant had found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest, look now, king, our taxers, send me unto Judah. He's wanting to go back to Jerusalem and to the city of my father's sepulchers that I may build it. I'm wanting to build Jerusalem. And the king said unto me, the queen also sat by him. I think that, that just always catches me as hilarious, a little parenthetical phrase there. The queen also sat beside him. For how long shall thy journey be? And when wilt thou return? Now look, so it pleased the king to send me. And I set a time. In other words, Nehemiah said, I want to go back to Jerusalem. I want to rebuild it if it please you, if I can get your sanction, your hand of blessing. And evidently he did. It pleased the king to send him. Now, remember, Ezra and Nehemiah, they're kind of they're during the same time period. They're, they're working during the same time period. Uh, Ezra returned before Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a servant, a cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. But if you will remember, whenever Ezra went back, you read throughout the book of Ezra, everything was talking about in the book of Ezra about the house of God, the temple of God, the sanctuary. That was the main subject matter. But whenever we get into Nehemiah, which we've done a series on Nehemiah, we got a vehicle out there that attaches to something named Nehemiah by these young people. And nevertheless, this, this Nehemiah, you read the book of Nehemiah, it's all concerning the walls and the gates. It's concerning the city of Jerusalem. Amen. Particularly it being rebuilt. And here's what the Bible says in Nehemiah 2 and verses 7 and 8. Moreover, I said unto the king, if it please the king, here it is. So I'm going to go to Jerusalem. It's, it's, I'm going to rebuild it, restore it. But if it please thee, let letters be given me. You're going to give me some type of okay and command with letters to the governors beyond the river that they may convey me over till I come to Judah. So something had to be within those letters, almost like a commandment or a decree that says, hey, Nehemiah can go and get to Jerusalem to rebuild it, to restructure it. And the Bible goes on to say in verse 8, 
and a letter unto Asaph, the keeper of the king's force, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates. In other words, I'm going with these letters. These letters are going to allow me to get material for rebuilding the walls, rebuilding the gates. So the, the king is putting his blessing upon that, uh, the gates of the palace which appertain to the house, for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall enter into. And the Bible says that last phrase of verse 8, and the king granted me. The king gave him those papers according to the good hand of my God up on me. So in other words, in summary, King Artaxerxes was pleased to send Nehemiah to Jerusalem with letters, his authority, his commandment, his decree to get materials for rebuilding the walls, get materials for rebuilding the gates. Amen. He granted those necessary items uh, unto Nehemiah in order to do this, these letters or these decrees. And there is out of the four no one that's any closer than satisfying that from the going forth to restore and to build Jerusalem shall this timetable begin. It's not Cyrus, not Darius, not the first act of Artaxerxes because we're talking about the temple, we're talking about the temple, we're talking about let God's people go back, but this is going back and actually rebuilding and restoring the temple. So you can mark then the, the timetable then with this decree with, between Nehemiah and Artaxerxes for Nehemiah going back and rebuilding the city of Jerusalem, its walls and its Gates. Now, the scripture said in, in Nehemiah chapter number 2 and verse number 1 that it came to pass in the month of uh, Nisan in the 20th year of Artaxerxes the king, in the 20th year. Now, uh, Nisan is either March or April to us, all right? As a matter of fact, after captivity, Nisan is in the book of Genesis what was called the month of Abib. They changed it to Nisan after captivity. It's, it's, its name changed, but it's the same thing. It applies to our March or our April. It was the first month of the Jewish year. It was whenever Passover uh, took place. And so the question is, when did Artaxerxes begin to reign? Uh, historically, historians tell us that he began to reign and he acceded to his throne around 465 B.C. And I want to pause here for a moment. I don't get real caught up in all these dates and years stuff because it's very hard to absolutely be 100% on board there because there are different calendars. Calendars have changed. There are errors in some of our calendars. We have quirks like for us that we have leap years. There's a lot of stuff going on. Anybody to be able to sit down and say thus and so from end to end, uh, I don't think there is someone that can. I don't think there is anyone. Uh, and maybe God did all that so that no one would ever really know no, time, no exact time, day, amen, just times and seasons. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, according to history, uh, 465 is whenever our taxes went to the throne. You need to find that in the Encyclopedia, uh, Encyclopedia Britannica. But nevertheless, so if, if, he, it was, if it was in his 20th year of this particular month, you take 20 years from that, that's 445 B.C., uh, whenever he would have been in his 20th year of reign. Now, I got something up over here. This is just for your pleasure because tonight I am not going to track the 483 years from the going forth all the way uh, and do the calculations, all right? Because let me tell you, that these two books right here, if you're interested in that and you need something to go to sleep at with at night, 
These two books right here, The Coming Prince and Chronological Aspects of the Life of Christ, this was written years ago, in the, like in the early, late 1800s, early 1900s. I'm talking about hundreds of hundreds of pages. It has nothing to do but with the calculations of the calendars and dates and the, the quirks and other calendars and how they had to come. So if you want to read that, I'm not going through that. You want to read that, that's fine. I think thus and so we'll get to the idea that it's all said and well. Amen. But uh, according to this Sir Robert Anderson right there, uh, he did some intense calculating. I have read some of it, but I didn't read all of it uh, because I wanted to keep my sanity just a little bit. Um, but with years of research, he said uh, culturally whenever a king went into uh, his reign, it was from the first of the month. That is how you counted his reign. So it would be from the first of the month of Nisan that he started his reign. And what that equates with, according to him, I'm leaning right there, according to him, that equated to March the 14th, 445 B.C., on our calendar now there's a lot of calculations to get at that uh, date for our calendar I am not going through all that I'm just telling you what good old Sir Robert Anderson had said but this starts our timeline now you notice in the scripture it says seven weeks and then it says three score in two weeks and so seven weeks seem to be divided up just a little bit. There's seven weeks or 49 years after the start of this, whenever they could go back after the decree was made to go and restore Jerusalem. There were seven weeks or 49 years there. Uh, if you will remember in the book of Nehemiah, it only took 52 days, wasn't it? 52 days for the walls to get built. You remember, Nehemiah 6, 15, only took 52 days for the walls to get built. But scholars and others tell us in, when the city was actually completed, the city, not just the walls, when all the city was actually completed, it took somewhere close to 49 years in order for the completion of Jerusalem to take place. And interesting also, not only did the city get completely bare, but this 49 years almost takes you, again, this is just basing on scholars, that it brings you to the time period of right after Malachi, whenever you're about ready to enter that segment between the Old Testament and the New Testament, where nothing's spoken, nothing said, there's just silence, it seems, uh, for years. But again, uh, if we think about this, if you look at verse number 25, the Bible says that the street, the last phrase, the street shall be built again in the wall even in troublous times. And so that harmonizes very well with Nehemiah, with the city being rebuilt. Because if you remember, he met a lot of opposition when he was building the wall. Met a lot of opposition when he was building the gate. It was troublous times. If you remember, they had to work with their trowel in one hand and a sword in the other hand. It was troublesome times. So it does harmonize very well with one another. So... The Bible says it's going to be seven weeks and three score and two weeks until, until Messiah the Prince. Until Messiah the Prince. Again, so that's 69 weeks from here, excuse me, until Messiah the Prince. Sorry about that. Infl voice inflections, right? That's 483 years. Again, Calendars have changed. They're different. There's errors. There's a judgments. Uh, there's little quirks in them. I am not going through uh, the resources. But according again to Sir Robert Anderson, that 69-week period would have ended, according to him, to, on our calendar, April the 6th, A.D. 32, which is the probable time for the Lord's entry into Jerusalem on the coat, known as the triumphal entry, or as the Sunday's going to come up, 
Palm Sunday that we're getting ready uh, to celebrate this coming Sunday. The phrase, until Messiah the Prince, is interesting because the term prince was used first of all of Saul and it's used other times of kings. And so this concept of a prince is a kingly concept. What we're looking for until the Messiah, the Prince, what we are looking for is a presentation of Jesus Christ as the Messiah, the Prince, the anointed King, if you will. Up until the time that Jesus rode in on that donkey into Jerusalem, up until that time, there had never been a public proclamation of Jesus Christ as King. There had never been one. We say, well, I mean... So we're not looking at Jesus Christ as we're not looking at his birth. We know wise men came from the east, the scripture says, and we know they asked uh, Herod, they asked him a question, where is he that is born king of the Jews? Well, that kind of got Herod started thinking about this Jesus as king idea, but it was kind of kept under wraps because after they even went and seen this child Jesus, they went on another way and didn't even return to the king and so these are people from the east, which we have studied, said maybe that was perhaps even Babylon. And, and here it's held with Herod, who is of the Romans. So with the Jews, it's not made a public proclamation of this idea of Jesus being king. So we're not talking about uh, uh, this, this until Messiah, the prince of Jesus being born. That's not what we're talking about at all. So we're not looking at that. It isn't the baptism of Jesus Christ that we're looking at. Uh, whenever he was baptized, yes, he was declared and notified as being the son of God, but there was no public declaration of Jesus Christ being king. So you got to keep that in mind. You're looking at a, you're trying to find uh, the ending of this 69 weeks to be a pub public pro proclamation of whenever he was declared to be king. Now, Gabriel, he's trying to have Daniel to lean in. He says, Daniel, you need to know and you need to understand some key indicators of this timeline. Because, listen, he gave the Jews a lot of information where they could have known their Messiah when he came. Mm -hmm. They could have known if they went according to this that it was going to be from the going forth of where they could go back to Jerusalem and, and restore Jerusalem and it was going to be 69 weeks or 483 years from them until Messiah the Prince. If they would have done their studying right of Daniel and everything in the past, they could have had a pretty good ballpark idea knowing when their Messiah would arrive among them. Amen. That's the reason why it's so important that not only did they reject their Messiah, but they could have known when he was going to show up. And we'll look at that just a little bit later. The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 19, whenever Jesus came into Jerusalem riding on a coat, and it was a coat that had never been ridden on, the scripture says, him doing that was a fulfillment of Old Testament Bible prophecy. This is one of the signs for the Jews for them to know that this was their king. The Bible says in Zechariah 9.9, this is prophecy here. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation. Look, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon the coat, the fowl of an ass. That was prophecy for the Jews. You know what he was saying to them? He's going to come in on the coat. He's going to be coming in. He's going to be riding on that in a lowly manner. Amen. And you're going to know, behold, that's your king. They should have knew whenever he came in, 
man, this is our king, accepted him as Messiah, and we would have had a shorter time frame of this being under Gentile rule and command if they had done that. But they did not do that. Something interesting, whenever a conqueror would come in and they would come into a city, if they came in riding on a donkey, it meant that they were coming to make peace. But if they came in riding on a white horse, it meant that they were coming for war. Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, he's riding on a donkey. He's coming with peace. But the Bible tells us in Revelations 19.11, John the Revelator uh, recalling the second coming of Jesus Christ, that he will be upon a white horse and ready to make war. He came the first time to make peace, but he's going to be coming the second time to make war. And if the Jews had discerned the timetable that was given them in Daniel chapter number 9, they would have known their Messiah, the Prince. They would have known it had been 483 years since Jerusalem was put all back together. They would have recognized. In Luke 19, when they come in, several of the people speak out, blessed is the king. They do. In Luke 19, verse 38, the Bible says, saying, the disciples were saying this, blessed be the king. He's coming in on that coat. That cometh in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven. Look, they notice that he's on a donkey, so this is peaceable. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees, you'll remember this, among the multitude said to them, Master, rebuke thy disciples, remember? And he said, if these keep their peace, he said, the stones are going to cry out. So the disciples hollering out, blessed be the king, but the Pharisees, the hierarchy of the Jews, the religious Stoics and rulers, and they got their robes, and they got all their dignity and their prestige. They said, hey guys, keep this, you, you need to just shut up and just, just be gone with this. The disciples were declaring him as king, but the Pharisees didn't want it. They didn't want him to be declared as king. They didn't like it because he was be, being declared king. So there's something happened. Whenever Jesus came into Jerusalem, there's one or two things that are happening. They either didn't do their homework for Daniel or they'd known the timetable, or the Messiah that came in on that donkey was not what they were expecting him or how they were expecting him to come, so they're going to discredit and just discard it. Because, see, they're looking for somebody with a strong fist to slaughter, heavy, take care of some heavy business, but he comes in low and meek. They're looking for a conqueror, and he says, I'm going to a cross. Look for somebody of great power, and he'd had that power, but he had it veiled in, in human flesh, just like any other normal man would be, would be in flesh. Matthew 23 and verse 37. Uh, this is after the triumphal entry. Uh, the triumphal entry in Matthew took place in chapter 21, but this is Matthew 23, verse 37. And we've looked at this a lot over the past weeks, but Jesus says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. He's already been there. He's left. They've said their words. The Pharisees have said their stuff. Let's just keep them quiet. Let's not talk about this king business. And he's pricked in his heart. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent to thee, how oft would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathered her chicks under her wings, and ye would not. I've come as the Messiah. I've come as your deliverer. He says, but you're not having it. You're not accepting me. He says, behold, your house is left unto you desolate. What happened, folks? What happened there is Israel rejected their Messiah. 
What happened there is the Jews rejected their Messiah, the Prince, their Messiah, the King. And you know what that did? That separated them from God. And there has been a vast gulf of separation ever since. Amen. In John 19, in John 19, verse number 14. This is getting close to the crucifix. It's a few days prior to that. Preparation, the Bible says in verse 14, John 19, 14. And it was the preparation of the Passover about the sixth hour. And he saith unto Jews, this is Pilate, he speaks unto the Jews. Notice now, behold your king. But they cried out, away with him. Away with him. Crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest answered, here we are, the hierarchy, the prestige. We have no king. You can't, you can't boldface reject the king any more than just saying we don't have a king. But Caesar, who was Caesar of the Romans? said, so we, we don't have a king of the Jewish or the Hebrew. We, we, have, we have Caesar as our king. We don't have a king. And verse 16 says, then delivered he. Pilate delivered him therefore to be crucified and they took Jesus and led him away. So Pilate presents Jesus even. Amen. Had enough sense to present Jesus. All these words have been going around about him being king. He presents him to the Jews as their king and they say, hey, and this is the one that was promised from the Old Testament, from the line of David. That should be their king. But their response is negative. We, the Jews, do not have a king but Caesar, Rome, a Gentile king. That's fine. You like Rome to be your king? Then you're going to continue on for many more years under the Gentile rule and Gentile command. They refused their king. Now, back to Luke chapter 19 and verse 41. This is in the same chapter, the triumphal entry, but these are a few verses right after it. These are similar to some that we have read. He says in Luke 19, verse 41, and when he was come near, he beheld the city, that's Jerusalem. What does he do? He wept over it. And verse 42 says, saying, if thou hadst known, here he is, if thou had known, even thou, at least in this thy day, which there's a definite article there that he's not just talking about a particular, he's not just talking about any day, it means a specific day. If you had known that this particular day was going to come, the things which belong to thy peace, but now they are hid from your eyes. Well, he's, what are you saying? Jesus, he said, I gave you in Daniel a timeline. I gave you when it would start until Messiah would come. You should have known about this if thou had just known it, if you'd just familiarized yourself with it. He said, but you have not, you've rejected me. It seemingly is hid from your eyes. In verse 43, for the day shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee and compass thee round and keep thee in on every side. And what Jesus is referring to right there is very prophetic. Amen. He is speaking of this time frame right here that I have listed where the city of Jerusalem and the sanctuary is destroyed. He says in verse 44, and shall lay thee even with the ground thy children with thee and they shall not leave thee in thee one stone upon another because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation if they heeded what was written in Daniel the hour of the visitation would have been evident and God speaking through Gabriel says hey from the going forth of the commandment to rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the prince or Messiah the ruler or Messiah the king is going to be seven weeks and three score and two weeks. It's going to be 69 weeks, 483 years. 
God has a desire even today to be in good standing with Israel. I mean, he wants that. He wants them to recognize who he is. He wants them to recognize him as the Messiah. He wants them to recognize for what they missed him for the first time. Amen. And everything that the Jews are going to have to go through through the continuation of this whole timeline is God trying to get them back to a place where they'll recognize that, recognize who he is. Now, the Bible says that after this happens, it says after, that's an important word. Underline it in your mind, underline it in your Bible. It says after the three score and two weeks. After the three score in two weeks. Messiah shall be cut off. Two things are going to happen. Until the prince, until Messiah the prince comes, the triumphal entry, Jesus riding in on the coat. After that happens, there's going to be, Messiah's going to be cut off and the city of Jerusalem and the sanctuary is going to be destroyed. All right? It's going to be destroyed. Now, what do you think of when you think of cut off? Messiah cut off. What do you think about? Die, death, no longer among the land of the living, cut off from the land of the living. The word in the Hebrew to be cut off is used a few different places in the Old Testament. But in every instance that it is used, it speaks of execution of a person given the death penalty for a crime. And why that's important to me is because God is so important in his word choices. It's not just death, but it's describing the death of one that has the penalty of a crime against them. Amen. And they put him on a cross, per se, with penalties of crime against him. He died like a criminal would die. That's contained in those two words cut off in the book of Daniel. He would die as a criminal would die. Prophecy is very, very accurate. God's word is so amazing. It says he'd be cut off, but what? Not for himself. Was it cut off because of something he had done? Some wrong that he had committed? Was it because of some sin on his part? Is because of your sin. My sin. He's cut off not for himself. That's the reason why he went to the cross. And the Bible then goes on a little bit further and tells us not only after these 60, 69 weeks will Messiah be cut off and not for himself, but the Bible says the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The people, everybody say the people. The people of the prince that shall come. The prince that it's making mention of there is not Messiah the prince. It's the prince that shall come. The prince that shall come. There's a prince that shall come. We know him as the Antichrist, the son of perdition. The people of that prince shall destroy Jerusalem and the sanctuary. Now some folks, there's some people, they want to take all these, they want to smash them together. And uh, they say the city be being destroyed and the sanctuary being destroyed, that happened all the way back with uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, which I, I understand, I believe I've been pronouncing that wrong. I've seen there, there was Antiochus Epiphanes. So there, hallelujah, got the Holy Spirit over that one. Antiochus Epiphanes said it all happened with him. You remember the destruction he did in the temple, choking uh, pork down the throats of, uh, of these priests and such. All that took place. But no, 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 no. Pay attention here. It's the people of the prince. It wasn't the prince. It was the people of the prince that did this thing. It's not referring to Messiah the prince. It's talking about the Antichrist, the people of the Antichrist. Again, the prince that shall come is alluding to the Antichrist. The prince that shall come is the little horn of Daniel 7. 
The prince that shall come could also possibly be the little horn of Daniel 8 that's from the Greece taken into uh, the Roman Empire. The prince that could come is the willful king of Daniel chapter number 11. The prince that could come is the man of sin of 2 Thessalonians 2. The beast of Revelation 13. The prince that shall come. Amen. Is reference to all these. When Jerusalem was destroyed, Jerusalem was surrounded and destroyed. That was fulfilled somewhere around 70 AD. There was a Roman general by the name of Titus that came and overtook Jerusalem and overtook the rebellious Jews, a Roman general. The Romans came in, destroyed the city of Jerusalem. He came and he commanded his men. He said, now don't touch the temple. I don't want you touching the temple. But as war would go, a fiery arrow somehow <laughs> uh, missed its mark and landed in the temple and it started burning. It burned down to the ground. Now, if the Bible says the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the temple and the city, if the people were the Romans, that gives us a little indication concerning the Antichrist. If the prince that shall come, that's his people. Then he is coming from the Roman Empire the revived Roman Empire, which consists of several different, different countries, uh, no doubt. But he is going to be coming of the Roman Empire, the revived Roman Empire. And so whenever he comes, that gives us a little indication. The Bible says in Luke 19 and verse 44, and Jesus is saying this, talking about Jerusalem, you should have you accepted me, you should have been there. He says, and shall lay thee even with the ground. He's talking about this time frame when the city and the sanctuary destroyed he says, there's going to come a day it's going to be destroyed. It's going to be level with the ground. He says, insomuch that they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. So along with Daniel prophesying about it, Jesus is prophesying about it in his day to tell us the temple and the sanctuary is going to be destroyed. There's not even going to be one stone upon the other. And history bears it out. The temple had gold in it, had stones, there was not one stone left on the other because the gold melted from the intense heat. It got in the cracks and the crevices of the stones. You know what those old Romans, old greedy Romans wanted to do? They went and chipped off the gold off every stone so that not one stone when they were finished was left on another because they got all the gold off the stones. Just like the Lord had said, there's not going to be one stone left or resting upon the other. And the Bible says in verse number 26, that the end thereof shall be, I'm about in the middle of the verse, the end thereof shall be with a flood. And that's not a literal flood. It just means it'll be overwhelming. You know how a flood does? If there's a big flood, it carries things away from the rightful place. It misplaces things. Well, that's what happened with the Jews after the temple and their city was destroyed. They were dispersed. The disbursement of the Jews to different cities and towns and countries happen. And the end thereof shall be with a flood until the end of the war. Desolations are determined. And desolations were determined and are determined upon the Jewish people. Not just 70 years of captivity, but look throughout the history of the Jews. They've had their masses that have been slain in the Crusades, the Holocaust that we're all familiar with, something called the Six-Day War of the Jews. A lot of people lost their lives. What are the desolations that are determined against the Jews? Amen. It was just according to the decree of the Lord. So that takes us after. Again, this is after, right up here, after the 69 weeks, these things take place. And what that tells then for you and I, it says after these things, and then it picks up the last week. It tells us that somewhere in here then there is some type of gap between the 69th week 
and the last week. They don't happen right on top of each other. Some people want to say that. They take Calvary to be the middle of the tribulation because whenever that happens, it says that he shall cause the sacrifices and the oblations to cease. And whenever he went to a cross, there was no more need for goats, bulls, and rams. All right? But you know what? Sacrifices continued after Jesus Christ was, was sacrificed on the tree still all the way till Jerusalem was destroyed. So it don't fit. This, does not, this is not sandwiched together. We're not here, this is middle tribulation. For one thing, if that's the case, the second coming's already happened. What are y'all doing here for? You know, yeah. the millennial reign of Christ is going. Don't you feel all the comfort and everything's just grand and there's no sin no more? Hallelujah. Yeah, right. My life says differently. I made a few mistakes this week already. So, you know, that's, that's not the case whatsoever. But next week, and we're going to close next week. I know this is very uh, laborsome, folks. But next week, we'll, we'll end with this final week. That's all we'll talk about next week is the final week. The, 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 the confirmation of the covenant. We'll, I know I hit that real quickly last week. We'll talk about that again. We'll talk about the sacrifice being seized. And we'll talk about the second coming of the Lord. But you can see, though, with all of this taking place, that we understand then where we are in this process of this 490 years. The birth of Christ is on this side of the 69. That's already happened. Messiah's already come. He's already been cut off. Jerusalem's already been destroyed. So we're somewhere on this end down here. We're somewhere on this end down here. And mark again my words. Whenever the covenant gets confirmed, that's starting the last week. It's starting the last week. You can count on it. If you'll stand with me tonight, and I'm sorry, I'm no God. It's just very laborious. With that being said, though, speaking of this time frame, these gaps, when you get over, you know, here, you're talking about the gaps, you know, it's over here that we have the ten toe thing all the way back at Daniel 2. It's here that we have the ten horn thing upon the fourth beast. It's on this, everything relates to everything in Daniel. It, they just build upon each other. So, anyway. I'll be still. Let's just pray here this evening. God, I come to you. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.